Hey, hey, welcome back, everyone, to another broadcast of In the Trenches. I'm your host, Tom Morcus, and today I sit down with Joshua Zalouf, who is the co-founder of Sudden Coffee, a premium instant coffee brand. In today's conversation, we talk about what it was like for Joshua to develop this idea and then roll it out and launch it. Because the idea of a premium instant coffee company is, sounds probably, it might even sound bizarre to you. We think of instant coffee as being something that's cheaper. And so what Joshua is trying to do here, and what I think is fascinating, actually, just as a, a kind of a case study, is how do you create a blue ocean strategy for what you're doing? Hypothetically, they could have just rolled out a competitor to you know instant coffee. But what they they looked at, the edges they chose to kind of compete on was on the the premium edge, so like the highest quality instant coffee. And so in today's conversation, we talk about what that was like to develop that idea and to roll it out. And specifically, when you roll it out, it's like, how do you get in front of the right customers? So our conversation actually ends up going into some really fascinating territory about how Joshua and how Sudden Coffee is able to think about the demographics of who's buying their coffee, what they're doing to reach them, how they then leverage or try to leverage certain types of social media platforms and what that's entailed. And my big takeaway is actually on that front. Just because everybody's, say, using a specific social media platform or using a specific marketing channel doesn't mean you need to use it. What Joshua discovered with Sudden Coffee was that their customers just really weren't on certain social media platforms. Their demographic, the people they were targeting, just weren't on them. And so even though they figured that out the hard way by running an experiment, but it validated what they had thought. And so what they found is that even certain social media platforms kind of attract certain demographics of people, right? So just be cognizant of that. You might think, oh, I should be advertising on Facebook or Instagram or something like that because there are these huge platforms. But maybe the answer is no, you shouldn't. You should focus your effort on something else that will actually produce really good results for you at a better cost of acquisition. And so that's kind of what today's conversation is all about. How Joshua and his team kind of go about experimenting with different types of marketing campaigns, how they think through that problem set, and how they kind of engineer those experiments primarily and also ultimately in the context of growing a startup. So I had a lot of fun in today's conversation. I hope you guys learn a lot from it. And without further ado, let's get to it. So Josh, let's kick things off. Give people a bit of a context for what your company is, Sudden Coffee, and what you guys do. Yeah. So yeah, so we're Sudden Coffee. I'm the CEO and co-founder. And we make the world's first specialty instant coffee. So we take some of the best coffee beans that are available, um, what you would find at uh, you know cafes like Blue Bottle or Ritual Coffee. Um, we brew it just like the cafes do. We create a special process to brew coffee. Then we freeze dry it and we turn it into a powder that tastes on par with some of the best fresh coffee you'll ever have. How is that different than, or how is it the same, or how is it different than when Starbucks rolled out their little packets, right? They came out with those like a few, like a decade ago or five years ago or something like that. Um, so how do you guys differentiate between something like that? Yeah. So regular instant coffee, just to give you an overview of that, regular instant coffee is made using commodity coffee beans. So um, it could be beans that are, you know, 10 years old, similar to how you buy, you know, rice. It's then... Um, brewed up to five times to extract as much out of the coffee bean as possible. Um, and so since coffee beans are mostly made out of wood, that's why you'll get a lot of the woody flavors that come out of it. It makes it a lot cheaper, but you get this bitter flavor. And then it's usually spray dried. So spray drying is a technique where you you basically spray water in a, or liquid in a thin layer and you evaporate it out. And so when you do that, you lose a lot of the aromatics. And then in traditional instant coffee, they'll add on a, you know, fake aromatic or spray something on afterwards. So at Sudden Coffee, we use um, specialty grade beans. They're single origin. 
Um, it's basically equivalent to farmer's market beans or you know, similar to wineries, like every bean comes from a specific region. Then we brew it uh, using a method similar to a cafe, so it's much more gentle on the coffee beans. And then we use freeze drying, which is this process that preserves all the aromatics and locks everything in. And so that's, that's kind of the, the difference between us versus what you traditionally find. Gotcha. So who's the market for something like this? Like when you approach it, because it sounds like, okay, high end, but then it's also instant coffee, which I think has like the, the typical maybe perception of that as lower end, cheaper, lower quality. Yep. And so you guys are kind of probably, I guess the only ones doing it in this space, doing it this way. So how'd you target this? Like, who'd you, who'd you look, look at to say, we need to get this in front of this kind of person? Yeah, um, it's really interesting. So when we started out, we 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 were marketing mostly to millennials, you know, people like us, people who already were going to you know top cafes in a city. We've found that there's actually a, a really great market for people who are Generation X, like 35 to 55. Imagine you're someone, you have two kids, maybe you still live in Chicago or Manhattan, you moved out of the city, and you're just really, really busy now. And so you still appreciate really nice food, you appreciate nice coffee. But you know, we had a customer who's like, I don't have time to make a pour over when I'm holding a baby in my arm. And so that's usually who we find it works really well with. A lot of folks who are small business owners, doctors, people who are, you know, tend to be well-educated, really into good overlap with wine, things like that. And how'd you guys get started? Like, okay, so you have this idea. It's pretty compelling. I, I understand kind of the, the people you're targeting. What were, what were some of the first activities you did to kind of get in front of, say, Generation X? Yeah. So, so the way we got started was kind of interesting. So it was myself and my co-founder. So my background, um, I started out in industrial engineering. I, I was basically an efficiency expert. I'd go to all these factories and try to make things as efficient as possible. And along the way, I started working in food tech at Groupon. I got really passionate about how you can bring craft experiences to people. I realized that you know it's not necessarily about making food as efficient as possible, but it's about delivering something that tastes good and makes you feel good. And my co-founder, he'd been in coffee for 10 years and similarly wanted to make the perfect, almost like most efficient cup of coffee, but like, you know, in every possible way and realized that coffee is about making you feel good. And it's more about the emotional connection you make with people. And so he happened to be at a conference and ran into a professor who used to work at Nespresso the idea of really good instant coffee came up in conversation. The professor said, you know, it's theoretically possible. It's just expensive and it's hard to do. And so he, my co-founder made the, uh, the very first prototype in a lab. And then we had a mutual mentor who linked us up. And so, you know, I kind of had the manufacturing and tech background and he had the coffee side. So we kind of joined forces. And so when we first met, we just had coffee in a bag and we sat down and I was like, you know, how do we how do we sell this in the next two weeks? What's the fastest way that we could sell this? And it was, this was probably like three weeks before Christmas. And we, in 2015, we were like, okay, let's just make a stocking stuffer. Like, why don't we just sell two of these? Um, we sold two for $5, which at the time was crazy for instant coffee. And, you know, I went to work on the website. I used Shopify. Everything was off the shelf, really easy to do. And he went to work making the coffee and we packaged everything by hand. And then at, the, at first, we just posted it on Instagram and on Facebook. We had 50 that we could sell. That was all we could make. And we just started launching it. And we tried to build a, this at first really organic following through uh, within the coffee community, just posting about really good instant coffee. And I think we were lucky in that everyone really wanted to try it. And so we got this 
a lot of buzz just from having this really novel idea. Do you find that's still the case now? Because this is a few years later then, right? Yeah. And so it still seems like kind of a novel concept in a lot of ways. I'm just wondering if that still is, is a factor for you guys. Yeah. So I think, you know, we have a product that everyone wants to try. And I think that's that's still 100% the case. I think, you know, we're, we're a venture-backed company. And so for us, it's the question is always, okay, how do you turn this into a really, really big business? And it gets more complicated when you ask the question, okay, who's going to be drinking this every day? Who's going to be drinking this multiple times a week? And that's where things got trickier for us. We had, when we were marketing for the first year just to millennials, I think almost all millennials wanted to try this. And what we'd find is people would say, okay, like I'm not ready to subscribe. I only need this for a camping trip. I went on my camping trip. I don't need more. And so then we started searching for exactly who's going to have this more regularly. And that's when we found a um, you know, Generation X segment. Okay. So if I understand correctly, when you rolled that, I was like, Hey, let's just do this promotion around Christmas for stocking stuffers and sell 50 and you sold 50. Yeah. And so that was just essentially manually by hand. You're like pinging people or what, what were you doing? Like posting on social, obviously. What were some of those activities? Yeah. Combination of, we just posted on, on Facebook, obviously to our friends. My co-founder had a following via his cafe on Instagram. And then he had, he actually was the ninth best barista in 2015 had won a bunch of awards and so had a pretty decent following and network in the coffee community. And so through that, we were able to post on, uh, we got articles written about us on, you know, coffee blogs or a lot of industry blogs. And so the first six months of the business, we were sort of, we were really riding that wave. And so, you know, as more and more people found out about it, they would share it on their Instagram following. You know, we've piggybacked off of a lot of cafes or baristas who had followings were like, oh, check this out. This is cool. And that was really about having, you know, we made the coffee taste as amazing as possible and then, you know, got it in the hands of people who were connected in the community. And so since then, uh, I'm, I'm kind of curious. So you, you started that as one campaign, just get, get the sale. But in the back of your head, it sounds like always was this idea of how do we turn this into a, a subscription-based this. Is that correct? Was that always kind of the ambition? Yeah. Yeah. So when we started, uh, so for the first three months, we were doing flash sales because we couldn't make enough coffee. So we would sell a hundred, then the next week sell 200, then the next week sell 500, then the next week sell, you know, we were constantly capacity constrained and we were gathering emails. And then the plan was, okay, at some point we're going to flip over to subscription business. And so we did that in March uh, of that year, which was three months later, but it was always like, you know, coffee is something that is, it's ritualistic. You have it every day. It makes sense to have it as a subscription. And then we flipped over to the subscription model that we, and we, you know, we were marketing that way for a, a while where we were sort of just doing this grassroots stuff. And then only probably in June of that year, six months into, we start getting into things like Facebook or other paid campaigns. Interesting. Okay. And so you've done, we were talking a little bit offline that you've done a lot. You've run a lot of different types of marketing campaigns. You've kind of done it all to kind of grow this thing. Yeah. So in the past, past couple of years, what would you say are the high, it was some of the things that maybe, well, we can get to the stuff that worked because we're already kind of talking a little bit about that, but we'll save that. What were some of the things you, you tried and you expected that they would be successful, but they kind of tanked or they bombed or they just didn't perform as well as you had hoped? 
Oh man, there's a lot. Uh, <laughs> I know it's kind of tough, right? Yeah, totally. I think um, Instagram influencers is one that's that's really hot right now. That you know we try we've tried again and again, and it didn't really work for for our segment. You know, I think we thought we were marketing the millennials, and we weren't. Like that wasn't the right customer. So we're spending all of this money on Instagram influencers who are like targeting millennials, and and there was a disconnect there. It was, it's also sort of this channel that is really hard. You know, it's really unclear how it works. It's hard to measure anything. Uh, PR was another one where, you know, we've been, we've gotten tons of great press and it's one of these things. If we're in the New York times, we were in TechCrunch, And to me, before I started this company, that was my dream to be in TechCrunch. And it was cool, but it, you know, it helped with fundraising, but it doesn't really help with sales. That, that's another big one. Most recently we've tried an affiliate program, didn't work super well. So we're still trying a whole bunch of different things to, to, to get things to work. But yeah, a lot of things that, that uh, we've tried that haven't worked. I think it's, that's particularly interesting though, the piece about the influencers and why, why one of the reasons why that didn't work at least, or that you guys kind of see as one of the reasons that it didn't work was because, well, influencers are kind of targeting millennials because that millennials are the ones using, you know, Instagram and using these social media platforms. So it sounds like you tested that maybe before you knew that the right market was generation X. So then it was like, Hey, we probably, this platform probably doesn't really work that well for us. Or if we use it, we just have to be really like hyper specific with who we're targeting ages and stuff like that. Is that kind of how you kind of approach this? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we're now, it's interesting because, you know, we realized, okay, there's this age segment and then we're also a discovery based product. And so influencers, I think, do work really well for discovery-based products. Like you're not out there searching for really good instant coffee. In the same way, you know, like for Allbirds, you're not searching for wool shoes. That's another consumer brand. And influencers are really good at showing you these things that you weren't thinking of. But we're now like I'm trying to figure out, okay, what are ways to reach influencers or in our target segment? And I don't think that's necessarily on Instagram. That's interesting. Yeah, I think that's it's one of those things people come at it, it's like, oh, I should be like advertising on Instagram or Facebook or promoting on these channels. And it's like, maybe pause real quick because maybe not. Just because everybody's doing it doesn't mean that it's going to work for everybody first. And second, it seems like more importantly is once you understand who that demographic is, then kind of being just more particular about who you're focusing on uh, or how, how you're going to reach them. Exactly. And yeah, so with that, I, you guys are probably maybe going through this right now, but what are, are there any social media platforms that you have found success with, with this particular offer? So like a platform that's particularly suited to Generation X, for instance. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, Facebook has been the, the biggest one that, that has started working for us the most. And you know, it's kind of obvious, I guess, like everyone is on Facebook. And so keep keep being on Facebook. I think from a social media perspective, it's had the best return. You know, the ads there convert the best for us. And it's, you know, easiest for us to make work. I'm still looking for other ones always, but Facebook has been the most consistent. How do you guys use a platform like that? Are you doing effectively just like paid advertising? Or are you guys doing other kinds of like, I don't know, organic social media? Like, are you posting a lot? Like, what's your strategy with a platform like this? Yeah. So now these days on Facebook, you basically have to pay for anything. Yes, completely. So even if you are doing storytelling, you have to still, you know, pay to promote those posts. We've done, uh, I think paid ads have worked the best. What I thought was really interesting is, is I basically wrote Facebook posts that was many paragraphs long that was actually just me explaining the product. It wasn't one of these ads that was a two-liner, like really great, great instant coffee. It was me saying, you know, I'm not a marketing person. I, you know, we made this coffee. Here's why we made it. We think it tastes really good. Um, we put the best ingredients we can into it. And I really hope you try it. And it was just an honest explanation. And that ad, you know, it's an ad that was really more of like a 
mini blog post has done the best by far. And um, that was really surprising. I love that because that's an interesting approach to it, right? It's not the typical, you think, oh, short, punchy, like hook them and get them to click through. And it's like, you kind of just were like, you know, forget that. Let's just try this out. Let's just explain what we're doing. And that worked really, really well. So I guess the, the moralist of that particular story is be willing to, to try different things. And when you're using various platforms, don't always just use the, say, the, the boilerplate or the cookie cutter formula. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. So I, I'm kind of curious when it came, comes to something like this, if you, you, know, you were, as you kind of approached this, like the startup piece and you guys have grown. So what you've done a lot of experiments, you've tested out a lot of different things. You kind of like honed, honed in on who you're, you know, the, the actual target market, who the audience is. You've done experiments around that, you test out a lot of different platforms, you're continuing to test them. What are some of the things that you guys look for now, like when you're trying to like figure out where to spend your time, money, and energy? Like how do you prioritize these kind of experiments? Because I think for somebody getting started, especially if they're bootstrapping, it's a question of, I think, resources and prioritization. And so it's really challenging. Like there's a hundred different things we could do. How do you guys actually approach that kind of problem set? Yeah. Uh, there's a really good book that explains this, but I'll see if I can think of the name. But so what we usually typically do is, you know, you list out all of the ideas that you have on, on how you can market. And you basically list it out by different growth channels and start with the things that you can test the fastest. So we were in Y Combinator. It was a uh, you know, startup incubator. And um, I actually got this really great advice from them. One of our mentors there, who said, you know, assume that 90% of the things you're going to do are going to fail and only 10% will work. And then the, the second piece of this is there's no way to predict which ones will and won't work. And so if you really truly believe that, then you should start by testing the things that you can test the fastest and just power through that list. And so it was everything from, okay, let's test a Facebook ad, let's test website changes to let's test a larger partnership or let's test retail, which are things that take a lot longer to do. And so um, we started by just testing all of those things first. And like, how do you, and the, the question is like, can I break a test down into one hour or two hours? Like I can make a Facebook ad in one or two hours instead of, um, you know, if we're testing retail, that could be a multi-month thing. And so we, we kind of powered through a list like that. And I think now we're kind of in like doing some of the longer term bets. Um, we've been pivoting into retail, doing a lot more partnerships, but that was kind of the approach that we took out of the gate. And I'm kind of curious specifically too, like when you approach something like this, you guys started, it was just uh, you you and your partner, right? Like just, or the co-founder. And so what were some of the critical first hires for you? Like to kind of get the ball rolling to when you guys started to kind of like start to get that traction? Yeah. So I think the very first hires for us were all around operations. Like I said earlier on, we were just struggling to make enough coffee all the time. And so first it was, okay, how do we make more of this? You know, the first couple hires were around like actually just making copy, then it was someone to help us expand our production line so that we could really focus on doing a lot of the marketing. A lot like the rule of thumb is that until you really find like strong product market fit, like it should be, you know, the core team or the founders like really doing a lot of this testing because you're still testing a lot, uh, testing out the messaging. And then you also need to sometimes change the product if the messaging changes or change the packaging. So like you need to be able to move all levers. We tried hiring marketing contractors at various times and then tried hiring full-time marketing people. It, it was actually quite difficult. We still don't have a head of marketing because like it, it was hard to find it's hard to find folks who can really, you know, think through it full stack, if that makes sense. Like uh, think through the brand story and the data-driven stuff and you know, make make changes on the product and make changes on the business model is sort of like 
a challenge until you really find your marketing things that are working. I mean, right there, if you guys figure out the how to how to crack that cookie or, or crack the code on how to find somebody like that, it's like let everybody know. <laughs> I feel like that's you know, it's like I'm always looking for that person. It's like, man, you know, I just have to like take it back. And and so what I've found is when it comes to like hiring, I, I'm like, okay, well, I'll just like piecemeal it. I'll be like, these are, these are the specific actions I need because you know, it's it's kind of it's just I feel like it's so difficult to find somebody who can understand like the full scope of everything that's happening, and then also be able to still implement as in just like an ideas person or something like that, you know, and actually like move the wheel, like move the whole project forward. And so, have you guys actually have you guys actually tried hiring for that, and it just didn't pan out? And what are you guys doing now, like to try to find that kind of person? Yeah, I think so. So we have we we did try hiring for that. We hired. I think three different people to run marketing over time and, and a couple of different contractors. And yeah, and it was, you know, I, I saw a lecture by someone who's really early in marketing at Uber and, and mentioned a similar thing, like it's the hardest role to hire for because you need someone who's part of creative, part data driven. I think we've started to switch to, you know, really focusing on people who come to us who are passionate about the product and coffee in our company, because I think that you know, when you wear that, have that mindset, you're kind of just going to figure things out because you're really passionate and you want to make things successful. So I think that was a really big switch that we made. And then I think also looking for like, you know, core fundamental, like before I was looking for people who had marketed before and were really exper- experienced at marketing specifically. And now I think it's more, you know, oh, do you have like, do you have analytical experience or do you have like looking for more generalist skill sets? I think is, is another big shift that we made. And you guys are just—I should have asked this earlier. Are you guys venture-backed? Uh, was it? Are you guys bootstrapped? Uh, you went, mentioned Y Combinator, right? So you guys are a Y Combinator company. Is that correct? Yeah. So we were in Y Combinator. We um, we've actually raised two rounds of funding, and we're in the middle of raising a third. So we're definitely we were venture-backed from within the first couple months. Like before selling, um, we had already raised some money. Have you had you ever started a company before this, and and was it ever ever have you ever done something that wasn't venture backed or anything like that? Just curious, your background. Yeah, yeah. So I tried founding, and I say tried because we never raised we never raised money, but I uh, founded probably like ten different startups or ten different ideas for whether it was you know three months or six months or a couple weeks, um, and just powered through them. And then I also. I was at on this. I, I was fortunate enough to, when I was working at Groupon, everyone around, like my boss and a couple other bosses I had throughout that time, all had done venture backed startups. So I sort of got this exposure to it um, through that. But this is the first time I've, I've actually um, run my own startup that's venture backed. How do you like it? Like, what's been that experience? Like, you you hear tons of different stories from different people, and and some things might be more a private conversation than a public one. But I'm just curious, like pros, like maybe general pros or general cons to it. Like, has it helped you guys? Obviously, beyond the financing, like I'm just curious to kind of get a, a look at that. Yeah, you like sim- like doing a startup in general or the venture backed part. I'm, I'm curious about the venture backed part because I think a lot of people listening are probably more bootstrapped, but I think there probably are some people who are interested in getting funding or or being being backed. And I've heard sometimes it's a double edged sword. Like some people are like no, don't take anybody else's money ever, and it's like okay, well, but I'll still take a loan. You know what I mean? Like to buy a house. So it's like there's some some gray area here. So I'm just curious, like what has been for you? What's been useful about it, and what has been uh, kind of helped you guys along the way? Totally. Yeah, I grew up in the Bay Area, so maybe. It's the default here, but I, you know, I'm a big, big believer in being venture backed and raising money um, for 
a few reasons. I think, you know, I think to me, like, it, it's not just about doing the startup, but it's about, you know, my life in general and the experiences that you can have. And when you, you know, when, when you have raised some money, all of a sudden you can try out a whole bunch of new things. Um, we were able to hire a brand firm and do a rebrand. We were able to um, work with, you know, just to be able to work with different marketing contractors or test out these different sales channels. You know, I was able to test out 10 different sales channels in a year because we had the budget to do that. And I think if, if we, if we weren't fortunate enough to have raised money, it would have just been a much longer slog to be able to do that. And so I think that's been really great. I haven't felt there's also a huge support network you get from the folks you raise money from. They'll be able to connect you with mentors. They'll be able to help you out themselves. And that's really valuable. Um, I've never felt the sense of like my investors are telling me what to do or take stealing the company from me, which is, you know, sometimes what you hear. And the other downside is, you know, are you giving up share? But I, you know, I'm a big believer in, you know, a hundred percent of zero is zero. And if you can get there faster and you believe in this idea of abundance, there's like enough pie to go around. I think you'll be fine. It seems like too, that like certain ideas, like I don't think can exist or could exist without, uh, you know, a significant backing right from the start to get it off like the right way. Like, you know, something like this, it's like, how long would it take to, to bootstrap versus if you can have an accelerator by getting an injection of capital and maybe like, you know, strategic partners or strategic uh, uh, relationships to kind of get you guys, you know, over that, that bridge like faster. Uh, has that been kind of your experience? Yeah. I mean, especially for our business, you know, this has been like, we have needed to actually buy capital equipment. Like we've needed to buy physical things to make this product that did not exist before. And we've also needed to invest in R and D that, you know, did not exist before. And so it's very different, you know, in coffee, you could, uh, open up a coffee roaster and you can rent time on existing roasters and you can buy beans and there's already a supply chain for that, but there isn't a supply chain to make instant coffee. And so for ideas like ours or, um, you know, things that are like even more tech oriented, you need money up front to be able to have anything to sell. And that was definitely the case. We were able to make 200. We could have made 200 without raising venture, but definitely not enough to ever break even. Yeah. It's, it's a big undertaking. Where do you guys see this going? Like, obviously, it's you know, it was, it was hustling getting these first sales, like selling out of the first first groups. I know you're moving to this like subscription based service, and but in terms of like, so I guess it's kind of a two part question. One is, what do you see as like the most uh, or the best opportunities right now? Your your biggest growth channels or potential growth channels. And the second piece is, where do you see kind of the company going in terms of like over the next like three years, for instance? Like, I think we talked a little bit offline, but I don't know if you mentioned. It. I think you're starting to to form some kind of strategic partnerships with. Uh, with stores uh, or grocery stores. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about kind of uh, where you guys are at now. Yeah, totally. I think through, through like really just listening to customers and, and getting deeper on customer behavior, we're, we're realizing that we're kind of backing off of our subscription model and we're trying to get the coffee into places where people buy coffee, which is, you know, retail stores. Um, you can also buy it on Amazon now. So basically places where you can buy it, you know, one off, and making that where you buy other groceries as well. And we're trying to just make that as simple as possible. That changes a lot of the, the economics around, it doesn't make sense to buy Facebook ads to send someone to Amazon to buy it one time. So we're trying to like re rethink a lot of things there. I think longer term, you know, we really see this as 
revolutionizing how people get coffee. There's been this big trend of specialty coffee. If you go to Whole Foods now, you'll see, you know, eight different coffee brands of whole beans from all over the world. But, you know, you still need to figure out how to brew it. It's still kind of complicated. Those have a low shelf life. And if you're outside of, you know, like if you're in other countries or if you're outside of certain cities, you just don't have access to the same coffee. And so what we want to build now is um, imagine taking all the best coffee brands in the world and having them on, uh, you know, the instant coffee shelf of the future where you can have, you know, your blue bottle coffee, ritual coffee, equator coffee, intelligentsia coffee, et cetera, all in one place in this really great format. Um, so off of that, we've been doing more and more partnerships with roasters. We currently work with Equator. We work with Intelligentsia. We have three more really exciting ones that are that are on the way. And I, I think that's that's where we see this going, where we just create access to all these really great coffees for, for anyone. What do you what did you need to have effectively set up or already going or what level of success to to be able to take advantage of opportunities like this? And this is kind of it's not necessarily it's specific question about this, like with maybe with intelligence or kind of working these kind of strategic partnerships. Cause I think I can, I can already see somebody thinking, Oh man, that'd be great. Like I, it would be great if I could get my product or, or, or collaborate with somebody like this or collaborate with a company like this. But it sometimes it's always like, but it's like, it's so far out there. It's like, how do I get in touch with it? And I think there's like a prerequisite, you know, sequence of, of events that kind of have to happen. You have to be at like maybe a certain level for that conversation to even take place and then, and, and to, to make it happen. Right. But I'm curious from your perspective, like, what did you see? Like, when was the right time to start doing that? And I knew you mentioned earlier, it was like, do the things that you could do fastest and then start like kind of expanding out from there. Maybe, I'm sure that nests with this, but in terms of you, like your thought process, like, did you ever kind of hold off on like trying to connect with somebody until you were a certain, you know, at a certain place? And how do you kind of think through that problem set? Yeah. So we were really fortunate. I think that a, a lot of this sort of came organically or a lot of folks came to us. And I think I'm probably being a dead horse in the startup world, but it was really about having a really good product. We had something that from the beginning tasted really, really great. And so that made it really easy within the industry itself for everyone to, to want to try it and everyone to, to want to see if they could have their version of co- a coffee in it. And so it was really easy to, you know, get this on the desk of the CEOs of these various coffee companies. In fact, a lot of them ordered it, even if it was really expensive, even if everything wasn't figured out because the initial product was good, people were into it. Um, I think this, there's also, um, and this is a really big learning for me. I mentioned PR didn't work before. PR didn't work for getting us a lot of sales. PR worked really well for attracting folks in the industry. And so it was really, you know, being, there's a coffee blog called Spredge. And, you know, most people in in America haven't heard of Spredge, but the CEOs of these coffee companies have heard of Spredge. And so that was really valuable. And having press in those areas was really valuable. And so, you know, that kind of came from, I think at any point you can just start sending your product out to different folks in the press or write your own press release. It's actually a lot more accessible than people think. You can kind of LinkedIn stock the right writers and start just outbound messaging them. And I think that's just about, I think you're ready when you have the right product. And then I think, or when the product is good. And then also when you have like when you're close to having enough scale to support it. But I think you need a lot less than you than you think you you have. That's interesting. So you guys, yeah, it was a bit, big part of it then was uh, the PR uh, indirectly and maybe not even uh, intentionally to some degree. It was like kind of getting the right PR, kind of being featured in the right spots. And then that kind of creating a, a little bit of a kind of a, uh, maybe a network effect uh, where people saw you, maybe connected with you guys. And that was kind of the the, the genesis of some of these kind of strategic partnerships. Is that correct? 
Yeah, exactly. That's exactly how it happened. That's awesome. Okay. And so, okay. And then think I, I kind of asked, uh, asked this a little bit and, and you gave a, a, d- a pretty good answer, but I'm, I'm curious, like right now you, you tried out the affiliate stuff. Okay. Scrapping that you're looking at stores, um, strategic partnerships to kind of scale this kind of maybe getting rid of the actual subscription model in terms of like with the stuff you're doing online, do you actually see any relevant potential growth channels? Like, is there, cause I feel like, you know, yeah, Facebook still works, but it's like, it's, it's so, uh, it's getting really tapped out. You know, it's really tough to continue to, to produce on, on something like Facebook, but what are you guys seeing? Like, are there any platforms that are coming out or anything that you're really interested in, like trying to get in front of or, or use right now that you think will work really well? Yeah. So as we're moving into this, you know, retail bike model or, you know, general Amazon model, things like that, we're starting to think a lot more about just general brand marketing. And so that's just like, how do we get the story out in as many ways as possible? And so, you know, podcasts obviously are are a big part of that. I think that's something that we see as a good way to talk through stuff. You know, I think we've looked at affiliate from the perspective of getting bloggers or people to just tell more of the story and get that in front of more people. Influencers actually might make more sense now that we're on on Amazon instead of buying on our website. It kind of opens up a whole new model. So, So we're actually going back to old things. It didn't work for the subscription and trying that again. But yeah, in terms of, you know, really, really new platforms that I think folks should try. Honestly, I think podcasting is the one that, you know, when I talk to other people doing marketing that everyone is saying, you know, we want to figure this out. There's a lot of growth in it. Uh, More and more people are spending time there. And I think YouTube is another one that I've heard, you know, we, I really, we've invested in getting a couple of really awesome videos made and we want to start using that as well. That's awesome. Yeah. I was going to say with podcasting, it's interesting. I think I read some statistics on it and it's, you know, typically, you know, I think it's more generation X listen to podcasts than, than, you know, say millennials. And so it's like an older demographic. It's actually like usually a wealthier demographic than say your typical like blog reader. And so that kind of all seems to nest really well with what you guys are trying to do right now and who you're trying to reach. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you know, it's surprising, like I think Facebook and Instagram are both doing a lot to still make it work or make it affordable or make it not tapped out. You know, I haven't heard, you know, most of the folks I know who are doing other startups, there isn't some movement over to like Tumblr or some new platform that didn't exist before. People have been, are still using the same stuff that they were using a couple of years ago, which is really interesting. Yeah. And I don't know how that'll change in the future. It seems like there's definitely going to be some, you know, stickiness to some of these platforms for a while, regardless. And so they will force you to pay to play. And, and that is what it is, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, Josh, I just want to say thank you, man. This has really been an interesting kind of fascinating look into kind of how you guys are growing Sudden Coffee. So where can people reach out to find you, connect with you? And are they able to purchase your... We know they can purchase your coffee on SuddenCoffee.com. And it sounds like you're going to be selling on Amazon or you already are. Can they find their, your, your stuff in stores? Yeah. So yeah. So both of those are great. SuddenCoffee.com or Amazon. We're launching in more and more stores. So there's already, if you're in the Bay Area, Rainbow Grocery, the market, we're going to be in Safeway Community Markets uh, in the next month, which is some Safeway stores in the Bay Area. And hopefully look for us at, at a lot of craft grocery stores. And then, you know, ideally over the next year, we'll be in places like Whole Foods and, you know, more Safeways and stuff like that. Awesome. Well, Josh, I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for sharing your insights on In the Trenches. It was a pleasure. Awesome. Yeah, likewise. It was, it was, it was great to chat with you about it. Are you trying to grow your online business, but struggling to get new customers consistently and predictably? Are you tired of working nonstop only to see your income plateau? Are you ready to step off the hustle hamster wheel, as I call it, and step onto a path of predictable profit that you can scale as much or as little as you want? Don't worry, you're not alone. I've been there. 
When I first got started, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. So I started reading blogs and listening to podcasts by people I respected and wanted to learn from. I slowly but surely put their recommendations into practice. But because I wanted to do it all myself, maybe you, you're something like that, right? And you love to do, do it by yourself, learn through trial and error. Well, bottom line is it took forever. Results were unpredictable when I was first getting started. I wasn't sure where to spend my time, money, and energy. And shiny penny syndrome got the best of me on more than one occasion. For many entrepreneurs, the amount I sacrificed working literally nonstop in some cases in my spare time and 12 and 14 hour days routinely after going full time, combined with the endless fog of war, aka that uncertainty that I had to deal with at all times because I was going it alone, I think that would have been enough for most entrepreneurs to throw in the towel. But I was persistent, focused, and I stayed humble. Day after day, I worked to grow the traffic to my website, increase my list of subscribers, and generate a healthy living for my ebooks, e courses, and other digital products. At least that was the goal. But maybe more important than the work, was that I paid attention to what I was doing, including what worked and what didn't. Eventually, I discovered a predictable pattern of growth. And so what I did was I just doubled down on those things, and I scrapped or sidelined the other things that weren't working so well. Finally, two years after resigning my commission as a captain in the army and going full-time on my online business front with my blog, with my podcast, etc., I replaced my income with digital product income. Two years. And so if that's where it stopped, I would have been happy with it. I would have been happy with the results. I wouldn't have complained. I would have been very content just replacing my income. But the bottom line is it was so much work. I wanted to, you know, see if it could go somewhere else, right? So I just kept doing what I was doing, but better, faster, and more effectively. Again, just kind of applying the same system that I discovered uh, from seeing these patterns emerge, right? So I implemented it. I kept doing it. And eventually replacing my income turned into doubling my income. And then that turned into a little bit more and a little bit more. But not just that, it afforded me the freedom to dictate my day and also choose the projects I want to work on, on the schedule and on the timeline I want, and to work with the people I want to work with. And to me, that's like a whole new level of freedom, especially coming from the military. It's something I've never really had that level of complete autonomy until I became my own boss. I started my own business. And until ultimately, until it became profitable enough for me to start to take a step back and actually reap the rewards of it. Because it's not all just working, working, working. And I do believe it's hard work. And I'll always say that. Nothing about doing this stuff is easy. But at the same time, you've got to reap the rewards at some point and take some of that profit, uh, even if you're just reinvesting it into new assets and things like that. Bottom line is, it can't just be work, right? Entrepreneurship and business is about that result that occurs, the value you've created and the profit that that piece of value that you've captured, okay? And you want to be able to reap the rewards of that profit, of that value, that little sliver of value that you get to capture, that you get to net, right? You want to be able to take advantage of that. Otherwise, you know, the entrepreneurship game really does become just a grind. And and for, I think, a lot of entrepreneurs, unfortunately, it becomes meaningless, and that's when they quit. Well, for me, I love this stuff. I really, truly do. I mean, it is my thing. And so that's why I didn't just stop where I was at. I've stayed committed to learning everything I can about all aspects of this online business world and this online marketing world. And I do this through real world application. In other words, I'm currently growing several online businesses and I'm always putting my ideas to the test in real time with my own money, with my own time and energy, oftentimes with employees, you know, a lot of some, some stuff more advanced, some stuff more simple, but you know, so varying levels of complexity and again, in different spaces, different niches. And I can say, you know, bottom line, I've always loved the startup hustle, but I got to say, 
it's nice to now be in a position where I can get big results with much less effort, thanks to having built the foundation of my business the right way. And again, I did it all through trial and error, but I don't think that that's the way that everyone needs to do it. And in fact, looking back on it, if I had to redo it, I don't know if I would. It was so difficult to just go it alone and try to figure everything out by myself. So one of the things I've tried to do is give back with this podcast, with my blog, and with my newsletter. But maybe even more rewarding than any of this stuff, while I've enjoyed all of it, I think the thing that I'm enjoying the most, that I find most engaging and rewarding, is the premium business mastermind and coaching program I run called 100K Academy. Inside 100K Academy, I help ambitious entrepreneurs who are very driven and excited to be doing what they're doing. I help them grow their reach, their influence, and their profit using my proprietary marketing system. That's the same one I use to scale my own online businesses from zero to multiple six figures and beyond, and the same system I use to help my clients reach the New York Times, Wall Street Journal bestseller list, set Kickstarter funding records, and create viral product launches that have turned into predictable revenue streams. So lots and lots of case studies that you can find at tommorcus.com. If you're curious, just go to tommorcus.com slash about, and that'll get you started. Most importantly, this system is one that 100K Academy members and alumni have used to achieve tremendous results, like Alexa, who used it to have her most profitable year ever, or Tina, who used it to make five figures from a sales funnel that she can now replicate and scale, and that's exactly what she's doing, or Carrie, who made over $75,000 in just seven days. And the crazy part about his story was that his online business was actually a side hustle up until that first profitable launch, which he has then been able to grow and scale. And he subsequently quit his job following that very successful week. And I think that that has been just a game changer for Carrie and the life he's living and the work he gets to do and the impact he gets to make on the world because of the great work he's doing now, because he was able to figure out a system that would get him the targeted traffic, the subscribers, the sales to grow a profitable online business. Bottom line, if you want to grow your online business from six to seven figures, but you flatlined or you're struggling, or you just want to be told what to do and when to do it and in what order, right? And you want a system that is predictable and scalable and isn't just you know another shiny penny, but actually will fit right into your business. It plugs in and is something that you can truly grow. I want you to go to tommorcus.com slash academy. That's tommorcus.com slash academy. Academy is spelled A-C-A-D-E-M-Y. Go to tommorcus.com slash academy, and you'll find a page on my website with more details about 100K Academy, the business mastermind coaching program I run, as well as instructions on what to do next. Again, that's tommorcus.com slash academy. And if you're serious about growing your reach, influence, or profit, just follow the instructions and we'll be in touch, okay? Again, tommorcus.com slash academy. Go ahead and head over there now. That's it for today. Stay frosty.